please close your eyes, turn around, and count to nine. When you open them, I will be gone. The Spartans said they were tougher. The Spartans said they would flinch. And they did. And welcome to another episode of the SD4L show. I'm Justin Thind. Today I'm here with my colleague from SpartanTailgate.com, Corey Robinson. Corey, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How have you been? Good, good. Uh, wild week, but yeah. I, think, I think it's starting to feel a little bit of normalcy. Yeah, for sure. Football, Football's on the horizon. Um, it's good to good to be back here talking with you, Corey. I know we used to do the Spartan Spotlight uh, for, for a while, um, and then we've had you on the SC4L show when we were at Woodward Sports, and now that we're kind of relaunched here independently, it's definitely going to have you on as one of the first, first guests, so... So uh, it's good good to talk to you on this podcast, even though we all we talk every day anyway. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, a lot to talk about for sure. Um, very eventful week, um, lots of lots of developments. I think right now it's probably best not to dive too deep into kind of the ongoing saga with Mel Tucker and uh, Brenda Tracy and all the parties involved. Um, obviously do have to acknowledge that it is going on. I uh, can't just jump right into talking about Michael Penix and Roma Dunze, but um, at, at the end of the day, I don't think there's going to be anything that we say here that is going to be breaking news or anything. That's a, that's a new angle you've heard on the situation. Um, it's, it's kind of been covered to covered to death at this point. I think um, I do think uh, what's going to happen here is that, Mel Tucker, he's going to kind of serve out his suspension until that October 5th and 6th hearing. At that point, Michigan State, I'm sure they already feel that they have enough, but I'm sure that they're going to get enough at that hearing to go ahead and um, terminate his contract. Um, the morality clause in that contract, uh, which is, is usually fairly subjective in which this hearing, I believe, will probably clinch the ability to, to leverage at that point is what's going to let them get out of probably paying most of the contract, if not all of it. I would then expect at that point, Mel Tucker and his attorney to file a suit for wrongful termination, which at that point, Mel would, would argue off the fact that he believes that it should have been outside of university purview for this investigation to have occurred. Um, I don't think Mel is going to leave this with his 77 million, I believe that is still owed. I think if there's a chance he leaves leaves with a, with a few million dollars, but we'll see. And then I anticipate at that point, Michigan State is going to be in the market for a new permanent full-time head coach. And um, I have some candidates in mind that, that I have kind of waiting to put out there when the tenor of the conversation is right for that. But for now, Harlan Barnett is the interim head coach. He's been at Michigan State for, I think, 15 or so years cumulatively. And um, he, he takes over this weekend ahead of this big game against Washington. So with that, Corey, I don't know if you have any anything to add there with the with the investigation or, or anything that's going on there, but that's kind of just how I see it playing out. And I don't think there's anything more to add there from my end. Um, any Anything from you? Yeah, I think uh, I'm with you. Kind of let everything play out, see how it is. I think we all kind of see where it's going or heading. 
uh, whether it gets there or not, I guess, will be decided on the on October fifth and sixth, or the dates that they have set there. But I mean, I guess it's just turning forward. You got Harlan Barnett here, uh, former head coach uh, Mark D'Antonio uh, decided that he, you know, he gave up his retirement to come back to the university. Mm-hmm. That means a lot to him to be an associate head coach, kind of uh, be able to guide Harlan through the day-to-day of being a head coach just since he's never done that yet so right. yeah I think now you're just right now you're just seeing a like an energy level and the program being raised I think everybody's uniting together and that's kind of just what you have to do with this where people are resilient things happen you know and you move forward and you make the best decisions uh, that you can for that situation and you know, come together and then go play your game Saturday, which I think the players that I've talked to, like they've all quickly turned the page mm-hmm. on on this because they know, you know, this is there's nothing they can do about it and it, it is what it is. So they're worried about who's in the football building right now and winning right. this Saturday. For sure. And I think when you're talking about who's there this Saturday in that football building, you have Harlan Burnett, obviously the interim head coach. You have Mark D'Antonio, the interim associate head coach. I think in a time like this, when it is about the noise inside the building, not the noise outside of the building, you have to have some resilient kind of leader of men type of leaders. And I think you have two of them right there that that fit that mold. I have, obviously, we know D'Antonio is known for kind of channeling that backs against the wall, um, all odds are against us mentality. Um, Harlan Barnett, he's he's as true of a Spartan dog as they come. They're going to be in a position this weekend where all the pressure is on Washington. None of the pressure is on Michigan State. And um, Michigan State, I think we'll see what happens with the final score. Washington has probably, in my opinion, the best passing attack in college football. But I think those guys are going to be ready from a fight and perseverance standpoint. I would put Harlan Barnett in terms of a motivational and charisma and character and culture guy. Um, very high up on a report card. I think he is a guy that probably would be a better head coach than he is a DC or even a position coach. I don't know if and when or where he'll ever get that opportunity on a permanent basis, but I think that that this is a as good of an interim candidate as Michigan State could have hoped for in this specific setting. And Mark D'Antonio, um, I don't expect him to have any sort of influence on game plan or scheme especially not this week on such a short week, but the presence of him just being there, possibly the pregame speech that he might give, because if, if Mark D'Antonio gets up there and gives a pregame speech before this Washington game and he goes and he uses everything that he's known, everything he's used as motivation over all these past years, all those wins against Michigan, all those times they went as the underdog and won those games. And he uses that now, coupled with the passion that he has for Michigan State, the ownership he feels to revitalize this program in this time that is not stable at all. I think there's a very, very legitimate chance that Mark D'Antonio can get through to these guys better than anybody else possibly could that they could find to come speak to the team before that game. Um, So his presence, him being there, but Harlan Barnett also being that energy guy that they need. I think the duo that they have there. Again, may not overcome the talent gap, but I think that there's a lot of promise there that has some fans feeling more optimistic about this game than even possibly before everything unfolded, which kind of sounds crazy to say, but I've heard that a few different times. What do you think that that Mark D'Antonio will bring in, I guess, first you can say this week and then maybe over the course of the season as a whole? 
Yeah, I, I think you hit it on the, the nail on the head. I, I think pe- there's some people that are thinking like he's going to come in and, you know, from a X's and O's schematic thing, you know, that's not really the case. Uh, right. Like he, he, he will to a point because, uh, you know, he's watched, I mean, he's coached how many years of football? He's going right. to see things and he's going to have that headset on and he's like, hey, this guy's doing this. So he knows what he's looking for that time. So it's not like, like he's not going to bring anything to it, but like his biggest thing is just being a, like a calming force for the program and Harlan as he kind of navigates what it is to be a head coach. But I do think as he's around it more and he starts, you know, deep diving a little bit more into the scheme and what they want to do and what the roster is and what guys mm-hmm. can do, I think you're going to see his role kind of grow a little bit as, mm-hmm. as the season goes on. So maybe you get, what are we going into week three right now? So yeah. maybe seven games in eight games in, right. I think you really could start to see maybe him put a little bit more influence in mm-hmm. on that part of it. But I mean, I, I think, I think he probably as weird. As it sounds, he'll probably have a bigger impact game day than game week uh, for the team part schematically. Cause he mm-hmm. is going to see things. I mean, this is a a guy that's uh, found a way to shut down some of the most explosive offenses out there. Whether it was Oregon with Justin Herbert when they uh, he held him to seven, I don't think anyone's ever uh, done that right. to Justin before. So I mean, like he knows what he's doing, he knows what he's looking for. But yeah. there's obviously there's obviously some disconnect here. So, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, he's going to be a guy that he only knows how to go one way and he's going to dive in all the way. And I think he's going to try and stay out of the way as much as possible for Harlan, just to let right. Harlan have this opportunity. But, but yeah, I think, uh, especially in a college game, emotion mm-hmm. and everything like that means so much. And I think right. the emotion of what happened and taking two people that are such great leaders uh, mm-hmm. And Harlan Barnett and Martin Antonio, I think that that's going to unify the team mm-hmm. to come out. You know, not that they're not going to, they weren't going to come out anyways, mm-hmm. but I think it's going to give them a different edge because I know for me growing up uh, playing sports and even today, like if someone was coming at my team and for something that I didn't do or we didn't do as a collective and they're coming at my head just out of the thing. Like I'm not cowering for that. I'm that's gonna mm-hmm. fire me up and give me extra motivation to go out there and uh, right. do the best I can do and stick right. together for sure. And I think you said it well when you said that D'Antonio, from a football perspective, would have more of an impact game day than game week because I cannot see D'Antonio sitting there on a Wednesday. Um, trying to grind tape and then get something ready for the install later that day so that they can get that in that day and before the walkthrough because he saw coverage on tape. But what I do see is him sitting in the booth and seeing the same kind of formation and the same play ran out of that formation in both the first quarter and the second quarter, then coming down at halftime and saying, hey, this is what they're doing out of this look. Watch out for this. Maybe this is a coverage we can do. Um, because while he's sitting in that booth or maybe on the sideline, as A.D. Haller said, it could be either or, um, he doesn't have any of those responsibilities that he's going to have during the week of keeping everyone together, of maybe doing lots of stuff behind the scenes to heal the pro- heal the program. His only job while he's sitting there watching the game is going to be to watch the game. 
So I think that's that's well said by you of how he might have more from a football perspective more of an impact on game day than game week. Um, I think his calming presence and all that as a whole that that'll be felt through the game week. But um, just from X's and O's, I don't think game week will be much, but game day could be for sure. Um, yeah, and and then I mean too, starting off against uh, DeBoer, the Washington mm-hmm. coach, mm-hmm. where he was at Indiana. Uh, I think Michael Penix, he's yep. been in college for seven years now or something like so he's <laughs> d'antonio has actually seen him i think three years himself yeah like, like and it's crazy because like i'm actually like like you look at it like the college career that Penix has had where he's a great quarterback and you know his experience is like a big reason why he mm-hmm. is as good as he is more than anything because like he's probably one of those guys as a facebook account and he's like copying and pasting, saying that he's not giving permission to Facebook to share his content to outside vendors because he's that old. But uh, like, so I mean, there's a familiarity process yeah. there with him. So like, yeah. like he'll see some things that that he saw at Indiana from DeBoer right. and them, and so so I think uh, maybe it's a good matchup in the sense of. Right like you have some familiarity with what they're trying to do, but mm-hmm. then it's a tough matchup because like you said, it's probably the best passing offense in yeah. college football right now. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and kind of pivoting towards that side of things with what, what Michigan state is facing here. Um, there's two stats, one for one for what Washington does and one for what Michigan state does in offense. And um, I guess starting off with the Washington side of things, um, Maxwell Klitsky, who, who's been on the show, um, he had a stat where he said that half of Washington's 14 touchdowns were 20 or sorry, 10 yards or longer. Um, so coaches that measure explosive plays, they usually do increments of 10 plus some do 20 plus for ultra explosive plays when they're tracking and charting their performance for the day. But essentially they score an explosive plays on 50% of their touchdowns or more. This is exactly why I was saying in my piece, I don't know if, if people read it, but that's free uh, for this week. Um, and that's go over there on SpartanTailgate.com, the three keys to beating Washington. It is a offense that they will score over your head the one time you finally decide to not be uh, conservative. Because in that Boise State game, Boise State kind of went with the approach that I was saying Michigan State needs to go with of playing back, letting the front four do the work. Don't let anything go over your head. Play bail, play off coverage. Let Michael Penix throw 51 times in the game instead of 35 times for the same amount of yards as the 51 would. And Boise started with that. The game was closer than many expected it to be into the second quarter or so. Then Boise sent one blitz, finally. Man coverage on the outsides. They were pressing. 45-yard touchdown pass. And um, I think they went away from that for a, for a while just because they got scared off. Third quarter, they once again, I think, pressed on the outside. Boise's uh, Washington, 45-yard touchdown pass, something like that. So, like, you can do this, the right thing for most of the game, twice decide to be aggressive, and that's 14 points right there. So it's just an insanely lethal offense. You have to be disciplined in the idea of, we're going to have them slowly march down the field every single possession and hope he throws an interception or gets lazy, loses concentration, has an errant pass, takes unnecessary risks. Now, what that does not mean is that it should look like last year's Washington game just because I think that's the scheme they should go with. Because what happened last year, it was three issues. The pass rush was not getting there. 
the DBs were not reading and reacting and driving downhill as a result of that. And there were major communication issues. So all three of those things were the reason guys were running wide open and why guys were catching eight yard curl routes on third and eight and nobody was tackling them right away. Because if you cannot read and react, what would happen is if they were to press instead, you're getting beat for 35 yards instead of 10 yards. So I don't think last year the scheme was the issue. It's the fact that the guys in some cases were not able to read and react. There was no pass rush and there was communication issues. So if you do want to blame the coaches, which I'm not saying you shouldn't, I just think it's for why were there communication issues as opposed to why were they playing the most standard scheme you see in the NFL these days that both teams in the Super Bowl were playing. So Corey, I guess like I'll I'll let you speak too. Like, what is the what are your keys in terms of Michigan State's defense facing Washington's offense? Yeah, I think uh, speaking of last one, I think communication was the huge thing last mm-hmm. year. Uh, and then you remember that was when uh, Xavier Henderson, who ran the back half of the defense, right. went out injured, and then Darius Snow, who kind of was gonna run it from the linebacker mm-hmm. spot. Like you lost both of those guys the week before. So yeah. it was a quick, quick rebound. So you lost kind of the two guys that were known as your your two leaders that talked and organized everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think Washington did, did a good job pre-snap. They were moving guys all over the place just to create a confusion, knowing mm-hmm. that Michigan State had some inexperience there. So I think this year, you know, I think that all the defensive backs that played the first two games, they played quite a bit last year. So right. these guys are kind of a little more uh, used to that part. So I think hopefully that communication should look a lot better this year. I think them, the defense as a whole this year has looked better. I think mm-hmm. obviously you played two games against teams you were supposed to beat. But if you look back at the previous three years, right. uh, it didn't always look that way. There was still those third and tens felt like a third and two because like they – Correct. Teams, even at lower level teams, were having so much success. So I think you attribute that to one. I think the defensive back talent is better with those younger guys. I think they're faster, they're stronger, Mm -hmm. so they're more physical. But then obviously it all starts up front. Michigan Mm -hmm. State's defensive line is considerably better this year than it had been previously, where you can rotate guys and keep them fresh. and just come at them. So where Washington is going to be a challenge because they get the ball out so quickly. Mm-hmm. So so yeah. can you can you disrupt him from doing what he wants to do? Mm-hmm. So the big thing is keep it in front of you, make your tackles. Mm-hmm. You cannot miss tackles in this right. game. Wrap up mm-hmm. uh, a four yard swing needs to be a four yard swing. It can't be a six yard yes. swing. It can't be a seven or more. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing is you just got to play discipline. Uh, with your assignments and tackle, mm-hmm. like you can't right. get it. And if you get a shot to to put some heat on Penix, whether it's him escaping, which he doesn't do a lot, or mm-hmm. whatever, like much. you got you you got to hit him because I think you saw later in the year with Washington they were not as explosive because he started getting hit a little bit mm-hmm. more and he is dinged up and he's got this long injury history. So mm-hmm. Michigan State's got to find find a way to to get hands on him at some Mm -hmm. point, which is hard with the way that they run their offense. Yeah. I think what I'm not saying is that Michigan State should never blitz because I know I did cite the two times that Boise State blitz, they got killed. But what I'm saying is if you blitz, let's say a little too much and you, let's say you blitz nine times, 
you might hit them three times. You might sack them two times, but two of those nine also might be touchdowns. So you just have to pick and choose very carefully and, and do it in a limited basis. But like Scotty had two great play calls um, in terms of DB blitzes last game. Um, and it was one of them was a safety blitz that, that Jaden Mangum did not wrap, or I think he didn't finish the tackle. I don't know if it was a wrapping issue. I think he just took a, took a slightly bad angle and, um, the quarterback got away for an 11 yard scramble, but that's not because of the play call. That was Jaden was just really excited to get to get to the backfield there. And then the other one was they sent Dylan Tatum on a blitz while also having weak side, uh, simulated pressure. They had both the, the the strong side defensive end and the strong side linebacker, which is Cal Halliday, both drop out of their rush looks, bring Tatum from the weak side. And um, it was Armorian Smith who, for back-to-back games, has has had a big tackle. And um, he came from the safety position with great instincts and closing speed, which we did not see from the safeties last year, instincts and closing speed. Um, and that was a very well-executed blitz. So... Again, use those calculatedly. Like use those on a third and seven where you've maybe have already given up touchdowns on two straight drives and need to try something else. But I would not use a blitz first approach as a formula for this game as a whole. But um yeah, I mean anything else for when Washington's offense is out there, Corey. I think at the end of the day I, I, th- I think you yeah. can disguise some things too. And I know Michigan State has held stuff. Like they mm-hmm. they, they their defense no finally performed well enough that they were mm-hmm. able to the first two games that they didn't have to show anything. Right. Like everything they did was absolutely based pretty mm-hmm. much. And you know, they they got in a lot of different looks. They ran their four two, they ran uh some dime, they ran four three, mm-hmm. uh you can disguise where it looks like you got a blitz coming one way and that they're backing out and you come with another. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like a guy that's as uh, experienced as Penix, it's hard to show him something mm-hmm. he hasn't seen, but you can show him something he hasn't seen from Michigan State mm-hmm. to confuse him. Yeah. So I, I think, I think that's where you really want to try and do that. Cause I yeah. mean, if you, you drop one guy out and confuse him, that interception might be, the, the game so. yeah i might even suggest that michigan state use some packages that i've i have not seen them use in a long time um maybe ever and those are some penny looks and some dollar looks um maybe you go with a with a 416 uh formation because you how little washington runs the ball cannot be overstated because they have three rushing touchdowns this year all three of them are from wide receivers. And um, also credit to Maxwell Klitsky for that stat. And that that like they will not run the ball between the trenches. They will do jet sweeps and all this windows dressing to get three to five yards in a different kind of a run than just handing it off to the trenches. So yeah, four one six, um, maybe a three two six. Like I would I would have some sub packages in here that Michigan State maybe has never ran. Now you don't want people getting confused and, and it backfiring on your own defense, but there's they're not running the ball this game. They're just yeah. not gonna do that. And, and that's the thing I think Scotty Hazelton's gotta avoid because there's opportunities the last maybe previous two years where it was very obvious the team was not going to run or throw the ball. So it's the opposite way, you know, right. where you're flipping it. Where like so like Indiana last year, mm-hmm. like that quarterback, what do you have? Seven, seven attempts, six attempts the entire <laughs> game. 
Right. And so, I mean, you just, you just got to know what you're playing. You know, yeah. Washington, like your defense alignment can stop the run mm-hmm. without doing anything, without bringing right. anybody up there. Plus, they're not trying to. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like uh, go in some, you know, pass friendly sets. Uh, right. You know, you know, he's not he's going to get the ball out quickly. So, yeah. So you can drop guys back in space and mm-hmm. kind of move around looks and stuff. So, yeah, I think, I think they, they have some things cooked up that they held on to both offensively and defensively. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think that probably pretty much covers it though, for what the defense is. Yeah, I agree. As far I agree. as like the offense. But. Yeah. So speaking of Michigan state's offense, um, one point I wanted to I wanted to emphasize that you were talking about actually regarding the defense about how they kept everything vanilla. They didn't want anything to be seen. They were able to do that because they were successful. I believe that is what Jay Johnson's original attempt was going to be in the Central Michigan game when they were struggling and fans were booing. It wasn't because Jay didn't know how to get them out of the yeah. funk. It's that he preferred not to do it by actually leaning on some stuff that they knew would work for sure. And they had to because they were not executing the the short, sustained, long, time-crunching drives. And Jay knew that, okay, if I open up the offense, like, sure, it's going to work. But it's the fact that we shouldn't have to. That that was the embarrassing thing there. That's what people should be booing for. It wasn't the decision of how they called it. It's the execution that why didn't the, the simpler, bland version work. And um, I don't think they just let everything out. Like I get they did a couple uh, flea flickers, but they are they did not get to hide as much as they wanted. I just wanted to add in that uh, that tidbit of like what you saw in the first game. It was with the intention of doing exactly what the defense said about playing base, hiding everything. They just didn't really get to do it to a great extent. But I'm sure like they didn't they didn't pull all their wrinkles out. Yeah, definitely. And I think if you look at that one, I mean they had so many drops and then Noah yeah. Noah Kim he, he said after the game that he didn't have nerves but obviously <laughs> he, he did because yeah. he, he definitely settled in but yeah I think the big key for the offense yeah. I mean I had nerves I wasn't the, even playing in that game so I don't know right. how he wouldn't have nerves <laughs> right yeah so I think the big key for the offense is they got to come out faster than yes. they have the first two games obviously because a team against Washington you, if you have three bad drives to start the game, you might be down 14, yes. 17 points. And then you feel that pressure on you to kind of try to catch up. So I think I think you come out more aggressive, I think, for Michigan State to run mm-hmm. the ball. Uh, I think like the tight end position it hasn't been a huge blocking strength mm-hmm. for them. Uh, and I, I don't know how many years, probably well be before Mel even got here. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm spreading it out more to run. Mm-hmm. Like, because a guy like Nathan Carter, he only needs a little crease. And if you're giving him more more mm-hmm. free, clean air to operate, he's probably going to make that guy miss. Where if you're packing everything in there right. and just trying to run over them, uh, that, you know, that's great if you can block that. But right. I don't think Michigan State showed an ability to continually do that. So... So if I'm the offense coordinator, I'm spreading stuff out a lot more. I'm probably lining wide receivers up over the top just to get the guys out past the hashes mm-hmm. and just giving with the intent to run and mm-hmm. giving Nathan Carter the chance, you know, to to get out there, uh, make one guy miss. And, you know, you're probably going 30, 40 yards on them with right. his speed and elusiveness. So that that's something I would do from the running 
point if I mm-hmm. was telling the shot to spread them out a little bit more. That's true. That's a good point. I think that is something that would be that would be good to see. Um, I think one of the things that I agree that they have to come out fast. They have to. They can't be wasting the first couple of drives because they'll be down fourteen nothing if they do that in this game. Um, they were a little better at that in the second game than the first game, but still not good enough because uh, they had two straight um, three and outs even in this game. Um, but like Noah Kimmy started zero for three, and then I think he went eighteen for nineteen the rest of the game. Um, just you need that from the first drive. And um, now coming out coming out quickly, coming out fast, definitely. But also coming out slow in terms of the time of possession. And um, instead of having a scoring drive. So now this is the second stat that I kind of foreshadowed earlier that that really sticks out to me regarding this game. Is Michigan State has had 11 scoring drives this season. Only two of them were more than three minutes. Now, if Michigan State comes in into this game and they have to do the exact same thing in order to score. They just don't think they can get three yards, four yards, seven yards, three yards, five yards. If they can only do it by playing wide open and being a quick stride offense, you have to do it. You're not going to say, well, we would rather be slow and not score than score the only way we know, only way, no, only way we know how. I'm not, I'm not advocating for them to struggle just to force this mission. However, if you can, if you can help it and you can score – it has to be at a much slower rate than it has been these past uh, couple games. Because if you have three scoring drives in the first, I don't know, six, seven um, sequences of change of possession, you might be at a game that's like 21-21 with like a good chunk of the second quarter still to go. And that is not a place you want to be in unless you think you can hit 56 points in this game. Maybe they can. But I would just rather not try to have that be the case because what I'm saying with what the defense's scheme is intended to do, it's that when you force someone to make tons of short, low-risk passes, out of 51 attempts, Penix might throw two turnover-worthy plays. But if you give them, let's say, three extra possessions because your time of possession was low, those interceptions might not matter as much than if you had shortened the overall game and given Penix less possessions. Simple math. The less times you give Penix the chance to score, the more each individual mistake he may make would mean in the grand scheme of things. So time of possession is so huge here. That's going to come down to running, which, like you said, maybe spreading it out more would help. And then hitting the short throws, catching the short throws, not getting backed up on holding calls by your fifth-year senior that should know better. And, and things of that nature, because that is not going to be acceptable. And that's how you're going to lose the game, other than possibly the talent gap that exists. Yeah, and I, I don't think you, you got to get cute with it either. Mm-hmm. Like the flea flickers and the, the double reverses, all that stuff. Just right. go out there and go get, you know, your your four yards. You get four mm-hmm. yards of play, you're, you're, you're going to keep moving the chains and right. you're going to control the clock. So. I mean, you're accomplishing two things with that. Right. What you really have to avoid is getting that that second and long or that mm-hmm. third and long, and you just got to chop away. Mm-hmm. So I guess we have to get rid of that that phrase <laughs> going <laughs> forward. We'll, we'll go yeah. with a different one. Find the inches uh, yeah. to to get there. Yeah, uh, and just you know, line up and play your football game. Get them out in space. Right. Just chop chop it because that's what washington wants yeah. to do like yes they can take the top off 
mm-hmm. but they're very they're very happy with just getting four yards of play and right. chopping it down and hoping that yeah. they can uh, score yeah. once they get there. But, For sure, uh, I think I think too though if you look at it like Harlan Barnett, you know he, he's got a, a lot of the Mark D'Antonio stuff. You're starting mm-hmm. to see the off the field stuff that he's already saying no, we're doing it this way again. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so so yeah. Mark D'Antonio, unlike uh, the Mel Tucker staff. Has was very good at mucking it up in these type mm-hmm. of games. Mm-hmm. So, so do you see like can can they that quickly muck it up and make mm-hmm. that their their staple? Because obviously, you have a uh, D'Antonio, you have Harlan Barnett. They're used to that. Mm-hmm. That's what they do. That's and, they've done that for years. Yeah. And, and Jim Salgado, he's mentioned that like yeah. he used to come up here. For or to learn from from D'Antonio and Pat Narduzzi and those guys. So like um, his, it wasn't that he didn't exactly run this scheme with the Bills. Um, it, it pretty much ran something much closer to what Scotty Hazleton does than this. But like he he's very familiar with the identity and the formula that that the D'Antonio era defense has had to to win. Yeah, yeah. So so I think I think like. I know it's it's short notice. You're not going to see this great wholesale change week no. one, but I do think you will see signs of maybe some different different approaches of how mm-hmm. they're going to go about it and what kind of team they want to be. Right, uh, you know, and you you just see that through. And I think like looking at it because you kind of now that you have a D'Antonio guy there or a Saban mm-hmm. guy there with Harlan Barnett, like. That makes you re-examine the coaches that are there, mm-hmm. and you're like, all right, I, you could see Salgado. I think he's a guy that is like that. He has that kind of mold to him, you know. Just mm-hmm. the, he's about to work, not the fluff. Uh, Dyron mm-hmm. Reynolds, he's kind of that same guy where yeah. you know he's all about the work and all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hazelton, I mean, yeah, Scotty too, a football guy. Like, yeah. like those guys all are kind of they fit that mold, mm-hmm. and then on offense. Uh, you know, you got a toughness guy like uh, Courtney Hawkins, the wide receiver mm-hmm. coach. Like that's a, a tough guy. He makes his unit be tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, oh, Chris yeah. Kapilovich, uh, the offensive lineman. You know, I think he's a guy that he's going to embrace this different type of culture. Yeah, because it's going to be different. Right. It's going to be different. Uh, right. Teddy Gilmore, I think that's he, that's a D'Antonio type of guy. Where you know they're just all old school guys that are about football. Uh, I think maybe the approach changes and how you get there. And I think it may fit some of these guys a little bit mm-hmm. better, but I guess we'll find out once they get on the field. Yeah. And, and Jay even seems like the personality type yeah, that, yeah, like, does. that, yeah. that, uh, that D'Antonio would definitely gravitate to. Those those guys talking to Jay a lot of times, the stoic, calm demeanor, like it just it irradiated in some ways, like talking to D'Antonio. But I think, uh, yeah, that, that pretty much kind of kind of says it well. And, Kind of like the the last kind of sentiment that I have to wrap up the show is that, like obviously, like nothing is wrapped up yet. Like everything is is kind of still up in the air. But like when it comes to this possible next chapter without Coach Tucker, I know uh, you and I have followed this program for a long time, Corey. It was not it was not made by one man. It will not be taken down by one man. And um, at the end of the day. I think um, Coach Tucker had things moving in the right direction. The talent was was definitely getting better. You see it in the trenches this year. You see that wide receiver, skill positions down the road. But at the end of the day, no matter who's here, whether it's Harlan Barnett and Mark D'Antonio in these next few days, next few weeks, 
whether it's somebody else next year, I think at the end of the day, the, the alumni base, the, the culture, the players that have come before, that is stronger and overrides any short-term perseverance that they have to overcome. I think when you can even turn to a guy like D'Antonio out of retirement, have him fly up here from Florida on, on one day notice and say, hey, let's restore this culture because it's been a shaky few days here and he says, let's do it. That doesn't just die off with one coaching change or another second coaching change. These players that are rallying right now, those guys are not just going to be um, like just falling by the wayside just because there's some adversity and these guys in charge aren't going to let that happen. So the program right now is in a shaky spot. Nobody knows probably who's going to be the head coach um, in 2024. But one thing's for sure is that the culture remains. The, the foundation of the program remains. The people that support the program, those remain. When you have foundational building blocks like that that not every program around the country has, those things make a difference. And that's what get you through times of change. Like I said, one guy did not build this program. One guy will not tear it down. So those are kind of my only sentiments on possibly the instability right now. I don't know if you have anything to add there. Yeah, I think another thing to look at this weekend, it's the Rose Bowl reunion mm -hmm. uh, weekend. Like that was decided well before this. So it's kind, kind of crazy now that uh, the defensive coordinator, Harlan Barnett, is now the head coach. The head coach then, uh, Mark D'Antonio, is out of retirement for this. You're going to have a lot of those right. older guys from that team there. Uh, mm -hmm. But you're going to have guys from all of the other eras, too. And it's not just this weekend. Uh, every weekend you go inside Spartan Stadium, you're mm -hmm. going to see players from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the D'Antonio era. Mm -hmm. uh, John L. Smith here is starting to come back again for the first time. They got yeah. kind of included. So, so yeah, the program is the program. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, it's not one person or one face. Mm -hmm. It's always going to be the whole. Mm -hmm. And that's just how sports and colleges, all that stuff works. It's always mm -hmm. going to be the whole. And that's no different at Michigan State. You're going right. to see them rally around it. And, you know, mm -hmm. they're going to come together as a group. Uh, mm -hmm. And there goes my, my cat just flashed through. She, she likes to make appearances uh, <laughs> on, on the thing. She, yeah. This is her, her third show that she's jumping in. But, oh, but yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, she's she's a fan of the camera, I think. But yeah, but, but no, yeah, that makes sense. Think, yeah, what, you know, they're going to come together, and right. I, I think what I would say, because uh, I know he's taking a lot of shots right now, and it might be the last time we talk about him for a while as Mel Tucker. I think there's a lot of things he did really well here mm -hmm. that I hope whoever the next coach is and this current staff holds on to, because there was a lot of things off the field that they did for these players. Mm -hmm. I think you want to see that continue into the future. I think you mm -hmm. want to see yes this the connecting with the older players and making mm -hmm. them a piece of it. So so I know he's taken a lot of hits, mm -hmm. uh, some of them that he earned, uh, but, it, you know, there's a lot of good things, and uh, he hired a lot of good people in these buildings, and mm -hmm. those people are still here. Right. So whether it's an assistant coach or uh, the support staff, the mm -hmm. trainers, uh, you know, that facility, like, yeah, recruiting has changed where NIL is bigger. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, to winning, uh, you need the facilities. You need you need that hot and cold tub. You need the top weight room. You, mm -hmm. you need that locker room for the players to get to or the game rooms for them to kind of come together. So all that mm -hmm. stuff still matters. And he helped get that in place for the next mm -hmm. guy. So 
Yeah. So you give them credit for that and you, you move forward as a program and that's just what they have to do now. Yeah. I think that that puts the ball in the discussion, but with that, I guess um, we'll see what happens with this Washington game. Uh, we'll have coverage after that game for sure. Um, definitely check out everything that we're putting out on our site these days. Um, got some content when I guess it seems like the time to start focusing on candidates and things of that nature, but haven't really seen anybody doing that. You don't see the Bruce Feldmans and Adam Rittenbergs of the world dropping the coaching hot boards just yet. So um, I, I guess we'll see. We'll see when the time comes, but we'll be ready for that over at SmartAntailgate.com. Um, big game coming up this week. I don't think um, anybody will hold it against Michigan State if, if they lose that game. I'm I'm of the opinion that there's maybe three defenses in all of college football that could slow down Washington. So if Michigan State's not one of those three, then that's not anything to be embarrassed about. Uh, but I think they'll put up a fight. And um, for whatever it's worth, which may not be much, um, the line at negative uh, at minus 16 right now for Washington, um, Massey ratings, Sagarin, FPI, all those guys have Michigan State covering. Again, game doesn't happen in Vegas. Game happens on the field. But I don't know. I think there's there's a little bit of optimism in the in the air here that they can c- keep it competitive. Last thoughts from you, Corey, before we wrap it up. Yeah, I think I think it was find out a lot about this team and how they can stick together because there's going to mm-hmm. be some adversity in this game. Yeah. There's no no way around it. So right. uh, the new staff, you know, pulling them together and getting them through it. And yeah, I I think as as weird as it sounds, I feel like Michigan State has a better shot in this mm-hmm. game with what happened than they did before it went when right. I was going into it just because. I do think that the team has gotten more united and more focused. Mm -hmm. uh, There's some good leadership that's happening from the staff that's here and the players in the building. So, yeah, be excited to see it and so we can get back to football. And Mm -hmm. I I think it'll be like for me watching Michigan State for so long, seeing Harlan Barnett lead them out of the Mm -hmm. tunnel for the first time Mm -hmm. or seeing the winning East football coach, you know, stuff Mm -hmm. like that's going to matter. So, yeah. yeah, I'm just excited to see it all go down. Yeah, sounds good. So, sounds like that wraps everything up. So, Corey, appreciate all your time. Appreciate you joining us today right after getting back kind of from work. So we, I know the listeners appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, obviously, like I said, check us out over on the Shaw Lane VIP board on smartintelligate.com. And uh, appreciate everyone that tuned in for this episode. And we will see you again after the Washington game. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot.